Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. As we've alluded to on our other shows, this offseason, our Crack Rackets team attempted to speak with every Power 5 men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks. Fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed. A huge shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support with this series. Remember, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to express your thanks. With all of that said, we're ready to get to today's episode. So Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Joining us on the podcast today for the first time is someone you may remember best as an All-American from her playing days at the University of Alabama. Of course, now we know her as the head coach of the University of Washington women's tennis team. Welcome to the show, Coach Robin Stevenson. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Excited to, to be on the show, and I've heard a lot of your shows, so uh, yeah, excited to talk to you today. Oh, I, the problem is now all of my tricks have been just clearly, clearly given away. I got, I'm got i like going <laughs> into my bag here. I'm like, all right, what else did my mom used to do to me to coerce answers out of me? Can I try that on you coaches without you getting too angry? Um, but no, I really appreciate having you on the show today, and it's a theme I'm noticing, just coach after coach, former All-American, former player, and so, you know... I'm I'm always curious to ask, what is it about college tennis that you are constantly gravitated towards? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I, um, you know, I, I had such a good playing experience. I, I had no idea. You know, I'm from Canada originally, and I, I came down to the U.S. and um, played at Alabama and just had an awesome experience. My coach, who's still there, Jenny Mines, um, had a huge impact on on my playing career and just me as a person and. Um, our team was just, it was awesome. It was just the best experience that, that I could have dreamed of, you know. And then, um, you know, I was trying to decide if I wanted to play or not or get into coaching. I just, I loved being around being around the team and, and around college tennis. And so, you know, of course, then I went to Georgia Tech and was with 
Brian Shelton and the team there and, and just had another unbelievable experience. I was, I was so lucky and so fortunate with both of those programs that I was part of. And um, yeah, I mean, I just, I love being around these players and, and developing them and seeing them grow and just the relationships over the years. And, um, you know, with college tennis, there's every day is a little different, you know, and I think it's, it's exciting. There's always something new, new challenges, new people coming in every year, um, seeing the seniors when they graduate, go off and do amazing things. I think it's just, there's so many things I love about it and passionate about it, that it was a, an easy, you know, easy decision for, for me to get into coaching. No, I, I love to hear and, that. Um, yeah, it's, it's the best. Yeah, no, I, I love hearing that. And, you know, I am curious because I know you also spent time coaching at Georgia State, which obviously not a Division One program. Um, and I'm curious how that shapes your approach to coaching now, getting the chance to coach at the non-Division One level and just, you know, again, is that enthusiasm? Does that transcend level? Is that passion shared across the board? Yeah, well, it is D1. We um, we actually had a really good program when I was there. We you know, I was with Miha Lisatz, who's now the head coach at West Virginia. And, and uh, you know, I was in Atlanta at the time. I had just finished my playing career. And, um, you know, I was looking for opportunities, and it came available to be his assistant at Georgia State. And, and then he moved on after the first year, and then I was lucky enough to get the interim head coaching job my second year there. And... Um, yeah, I don't know if many people know. It's a small program for sure, but we, we did awesome. We had a girl actually make Final Four of NCAAs that year, Abigail Tara Apisa, who went on and was playing professionally for a while. And, um, you know, we won the, the Sun Belt Conference, and um, we actually beat Tennessee first round of the NCAA tournament. And, you know, like, I mean, even you, right? You're like, what the heck is Georgia State? And I think it was just fun to be part of a program that, uh, you know, I've always kind of liked being the underdog and, you know, being there was, was awesome. Just trying to change the men- mentality and mindset of a program like that, where we didn't have a lot of money, a lot of resources. We had to drive nine hours on road trips to get to wherever we were going. And, um, you know, we were the little dog and, and, uh, you know, it was fun. I mean, beating Tennessee first round at NCAA tournament and, and making history in a, in a program like that was, was, you know, something I take a lot of pride in. And it was, uh, yeah, it definitely makes me really grateful, you know, coming back when I came back to Power 5 school and just the resources and, and the, the opportunities we have. I, I've seen the other side of it, and I know some of these programs, and I mean, we didn't have a budget, basically. And so um, we had to do a lot with a little, and we're able to do that, and, and we were able to do it just because the girls worked so hard and bought in. And so there is something to be said for all the bells and whistles and all this stuff, but there's also something to be said that you can be good by, you know, the old school, you know, just working hard every day and getting better. And, and, uh, yeah, so it's, it shaped me for sure. And it was a good experience. No, absolutely. And I knew it the moment it came out of my mouth. I meant to say non power five, not non division one. And I was like, oh, I wish I, again, unforced error. I blame <laughs> the East Coast time zone here. Um, it's been a healthy day of interviews. No excuses. That was just an error. That was a bad, it was an unforced error. Oh, no, error. you're good. You're good. Yeah, but no, the reason I bring that up is, and you talk about the budget and everything, but, you know, again, uh, something we've talked about a lot on this podcast is the 500 rule. And obviously we're talking to Power 5 coaches, so the Power 5 perspective is always going to be different. Do you maybe have an appreciation for the 500 rule that others don't? What is your thoughts on that from a scheduling perspective? Because certainly you imagine without the 500 rule, there are less Georgia State versus Washington sort of opportunities. Yeah, yes. Um, it's hard. I mean, I see it both ways for sure. Mm-hmm. I think 
I, I, I would be happy to do away with the 500 rule for sure because I'm in the school of thought that, you know, I want to be able to schedule as, as strong as we possibly can, play the best opponents that we can. But with that being said, I mean, if you're good enough and you schedule that way, you should still be above 500. And if you're not, then maybe, you, you know, then that's that's unfortunate. I don't think that's going to happen very often. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said, I, I see it both ways because, yeah, when I was at Georgia State, I was the one calling, you know, all the Power 5 coaches trying to get all the schools in the South to play us. And, um, you know, I think the – You've just got to build your program and, and be good enough to for people to want to be on your schedule, and that's kind of the way I see it. But yeah, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be too upset if that went away. <laughs> yeah, no, and you know, it's again looking at the record last season, fifteen and eight. Certainly, you'd think on paper that's a team good enough to get into the NCAA tournament. I'm curious when you look at back at last year, and obviously there were some restrictions who you guys couldn't couldn't play. Certainly, in comparison to normal seasons. What were your takeaways from last year? Certainly one of the strangest seasons, I have to imagine, in your college tennis tenure. Yeah, I mean, last year it was, it was challenging for us, for sure. I know some schools just, you know, I, I think some programs did really, really well and, and kind of thrived with some of the stuff, and others had a lot of challenges, and we were one of the ones, you know, no excuses for sure, but we, it was just one thing after another. You know, we had two of our top player, international players that, that couldn't or didn't come back. Um, because of COVID stuff and restrictions and different things going on. Um, and that hurt us. I mean, there are two of our, our top players that, you know, barely lost a match when they were playing. And so we're playing without two of our top four all year long. And um, and even with that, though, I mean, we're, we're playing Baylor, who's top 10 all year, and we lose 4-3. We lose 4-3 to USC. We, um, you know, we had plenty of opportunities and put ourselves in position to, to make the tournament and, and – being shorthanded and still doing as well as we did. I think we took a lot of, a lot of pride in that. We had some people play in our lineup that wouldn't have otherwise that got a ton of experience and a ton of growth. And so that, you know, obviously those things go a long way um, in the long run. And then, you know, we were supposed to host indoors last year. And then because of the restrictions in Seattle at the time that got moved, um, you know, and I think Oklahoma state sounds like they did a great job and I'm glad that, that they were able to do that but you know unfortunate for us of course and then so we got indoors taken away then we were supposed to go to kickoff and then we weren't able to travel to kickoff at ohio state because of some stuff and so it was just one thing like i said that we uh a lot of things out of our control but we you know we did what we could and i thought at the end of the day we we had a lot of good wins uh we came up short in some that you know maybe we didn't have any business um you know, being in in top 10 in that group last year. But, I mean, the fight from our team and, and the belief that they they still had and, and brought to the matches, i really proud of them, and I think it's going to go a long way going forward. How difficult is coaching via Zoom? You know, what do you learn about yourself as a coach? How do you adjust your coaching to, I as you mentioned, the fact that I'm sure there was a lot of the time, particularly in the fall, you don't even get to see your players, and you know the meetings aren't in person the way they normally are. You know what what do you what did you do to adjust from a coaching perspective? Yeah, I mean communication was was key. Yeah. You know, we did we did, we had a lot of team meetings. We tried to keep it fun. You know, during the time where we weren't able to be with them, um, we did a lot of team activities where we were trying to keep the connection and and the the energy and and the motivation going forward. We um, we did a lot of you know Georgia and I 
as a staff, we spent a lot of time one-on-one FaceTimes with the girls. You know, we were trying to, to help them and, and continue on the path that we were on, you know, even when we couldn't be in person. And then, yeah, and then in the fall, we had some of the girls come back to train, which was great. But, you know, it's also hard to when you don't know when your next match is going to be <laughs> and uh, you're just practicing and practicing and practicing. You know, we were trying to – it was good for development, for sure. We had a lot of time on the court with them. Um but yeah, I mean, it, it's not something I want to do again. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine again, it makes this uh, fall that much more enjoyable. I do, again, to look back a little bit more on last season, because certainly uh, you look at at the numbers for your team, it was remarkable. The guys you were, uh, the success you all were able to have at the top of the lineup, 17 and four at one singles, 14 and five and two, 17 and three at three. You obviously bring back Vanessa, you bring back Sarah, who, you know, combined eight losses between them last year in the top two spots. What clicked for them so well last season? How are they able to have that sort of success at the top of the lineup? Yeah, I mean, those two and and three last year with Sedona, Gallagher, I mean, those three just day in, day out. I mean, it's so difficult to play the top half of the lineup and, and you know, three of the most competitive people and uh, just worked so hard and, and invested in the team. And, you know, they, they had an unbelievable season. And I think they knew that, you know, it was interesting with a couple of the girls not being back and, and um, you know, not having depth. We, you know, we only had seven girls. And if somebody got hurt, we were, you know, we were in trouble. And I think they, you know, some people, when they're in that situation, they can feel pressure in a different way. And for them, they all just rose to the occasion. We're like, okay, I've got to get my point, and my point matters. And they went out there and just – and I think, you know, as the season went on and they kept winning, it, it you know, winner, winning kind of becomes a habit. And, um, yeah, they were they were awesome. And uh, they're, they're just on and off the court, you know, great leaders and um, – yeah, excited to see what they can do this year as well. How did you keep them from getting complacent this off season? Oh, I mean, those guys. We our team is <laughs> the last thing that that my group is going to be is complacent. They, <laughs> I've got a group that, I mean, not just on the court, off the court. I mean, their their grades, the way that they practice, they're just you know they do everything at such a high level and. Um, they're perfectionists, you know, so it's not even that I'm having to push them every day. It's kind of a coach's dream with some of these girls where, you know, I'm having to pull them back a little bit because they just want to, they just want to work and want to grind and want to get better. And it's, you know, it's, it's so fun to work with them because they're always, you know, looking to take the next step. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about having seven girls for a lot of last year, 12 doubles teams uh, throughout the course of the season. I know I'm sure injuries play some role into that, but considering the roster, it's a lot of pairings, Coach. What you know? What leads to that? Are you searching? Is it the injuries? What leads to a number that high? Yeah, I actually had no idea. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't know that, and kind of thinking back to it, it, I'm much more like I would rather have our doubles teams figured out and stick with them and work together and be able to do individuals with the group, the, the pair, and you know, work on plays and you know, get familiarity with partners. And so that, that was definitely not the dream. Um, but yeah, I mean, we had to figure out how to win the doubles point, you know, like I said, we, we didn't have as much depth as we wanted with our roster and, and, you know, the doubles point became crucial. We felt like if we could win the doubles point, like you said, our top three were winning a lot of matches. And we felt like if we got that doubles point, we could probably beat anybody in the country on a day where things were clicking. And, I mean, our four, five, and six were competitive in every match too, and we're having some good wins here and there, and maybe not as consistently, but 
um, you know, we, we felt like doubles was key. And so, yeah, I mean, we were just looking for the best combinations and, um, and that's, yeah, I didn't realize it was that high of a number, but <laughs> I don't know if it helped or not, you know, maybe that was my bad. <laughs> no, it's, that's fair. And, uh, you know, I am, you, you brought up individuals versus team. This is a new wrinkle I've wanted to add down the back half here of these interviews. How do you balance those two things? There are only so many hours in the week. Obviously, during the team season, I think it's the 20-hour rule you're working with. How do you balance getting individuals in? Because obviously, tennis is an individual sport. Everyone's development is different versus working in team practices and you know ensuring that camaraderie and the culture is there for the teams. And obviously, that seems to always matter so much at the end. How do you balance those two things in mapping out the practice schedule? Yeah, I mean, George and I are on the court a lot. You know, we, um, you know, we pride ourselves here on, on development, spending a lot of time on court with the girls and, and making sure they get that individual time. But I'm a big believer for sure in team practice, like you said, just, just competing and, and the team camaraderie and having fun and the energy of team practice is awesome. Um, so the way we structure it is we've got, we either have team practice in the morning or afternoon, depending on our quarter. And then, you know, either morning or afternoon, we're on court a ton just doing individuals before or after practice, kind of back-to-back. You know, we'll either bring them out in pairs or we do, you know, one-on-one stuff and, or George and I are on different courts with different people. But we uh, we emphasize that a lot. I think it's really important. The girls need it. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's it makes for long days on the court for us, but we love it. You know, it's, it's where we see a ton of progress and then uh, we're able to apply that stuff in our team practices and in our matches and, and um yeah, so it's 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 a big deal for us, um, yeah. and we try to do it as much as we can. And I know it's never one size fit all. Are there years where you feel yourself stressing the team practice more if things just you know aren't clicking, and it's just you know whether it's from a doubles perspective, whether a, I mean the chemistry, I don't want to say lacking, but it's just not where it needs to be. Will you adjust that throughout the course of the year accordingly? For sure. I mean, we flex. I think we, we kind of have a, you know, I'm not a coach that's like, okay, it has to be this way every single day. We definitely flex and adapt based on how, how the team seems, you know, if how fresh they are, what we need, if we need more, you know, competitive situations. Like, honestly, there's times where we'll say, okay, you know, this week we're doing small group practices instead of team practice because we need to hammer some things down more individually and um, people just need more one-on-one attention. And so, kind of as we go through the week, like we've got our plan obviously in our calendar, but as we go through, um, you know, we kind of adapt and adjust based on where we're at. And for the most part, we stick with team practice all the time. Um, but there's times, yeah, like I said, we'll go, we'll split it up and do half and half and, and smaller groups. With that said, is 20 hours enough? Obviously, I'm sure the eight-hour week gets frustrating. Uh, dead periods right before the season starts. I'm sure no one likes that. It, it, are the hour requirements enough to reflect the modern demands of the sport? Um, I think so. I mean, I think the eight-hour weeks, no. I think, you know, it's, <laughs> I've heard some of your podcasts, and I think everybody agrees that it's it's tough because, you know, we've got, especially at the level where you've got players that, that want to play and want to get better and, and want to play at the next level, like, they're begging us to be on the court, and, and the last thing we want to do is say, you know, sorry, we can't, and, you know, they're out hitting on their own anyways, right? And so it's that's tough. Um, I think the 20 hours, honestly, it's, I would say there's some that want to go more and they'll go out and they'll head on their own some, but I, I would say it's, it is enough. Um, the intensity and, and the tempo and, and kind of, you know, the way we're doing things, I think it's, it's sufficient. Mm-hmm. No. And so with all of that in mind, when you look at your team's development this fall, 
um, you know, A, how nice was it able to start there to be able to have a full fall again, to be able to see your team and do the things that are, you know, so frequently associated with the fall in college tennis? Yeah, so grateful. I've never been more grateful <laughs> yeah. to play fall tournament. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, we were just so happy to be competing again and back together and on the road. It was, you know, so much fun and looking forward to the season. But, yeah, I mean, just being on the court and having the full team. And we've got a big roster this year. We brought in some awesome girls. And, um, yeah, I mean, just just great to to be able to see the development and see the matches. We learn so much through matches, right? Like it's one thing to practice every day, but to get that, that feedback through competition against different people was crucial. And, um, you know, you just get better a lot faster when you're competing. So coach Doherty said it best. A Panera has probably never tasted so good. Just being there with your team and enjoy. You're like, yeah, this is worth it. It's nice to be back. I, I like that. Yeah, That's so true. Yeah. Um, but you know, I noticed in looking through the schedule, I know there were a bunch of invites that you all were able to play. How many of those were hidden dual format? Did you? Uh, because you know, looking at the team, I think the top two they've earned their right to probably come back to those spots. But I'm sure there's a ton of competition up and down the singles lineup on your roster this year. Did you consider playing more hidden duels just to try and, you know, again, put your team in those sorts of situations? Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I love the hidden duels for sure. Um, but I think, like you said, we've got a lot of different girls. And, and I kind of wanted to see in some of these tournaments, it's hard It's hard with the hidden duels when you've got new players because you stick them somewhere and, and you see how they do. But, like, in these tournament situations, it's like, you know, who's who's going to be able to play two singles matches and a doubles match in a day and, and be great and, and tough and gritty and come back the next day and do it again? And and I feel like people kind of rise in those situations, and we got a chance to see um, – we got a chance to see a lot of different things with some of these, like, longer days and, and a lot of matches. Um, ideally, for sure, I like the hidden duels better, but I think this fall it was good to – to play some of these invites and just kind of see where we were at. Um, and yeah, we got a lot of information and we kind of see where everybody stacked up and have a better idea of, of where everybody's at going into the spring. Mm-hmm. And I know you have three seniors on your roster. That said, does it feel like a younger team? A lot of sophomores, a lot of freshmen, and even the seniors, a couple COVID stricken years. Does it feel like you've got a young team on your hands this year? Yeah, we got a mixed bag. You know, we've got, uh, you mentioned Sarah Mode that that uh, played two for us last year. I mean, she's it seems like she's been here forever you know, with her experience. <laughs> stuff. So she's a sophomore, but she's got a lot of good experience and is, and and uh, you know did really well last year. And um, you know Vanessa Wong, she's a fifth year senior and has so much. You know, she's I feel like she's been around forever. And uh, you know, even with COVID and stuff, I just I feel like she's just been in the backbone of this team for a long time now. And um, Nika Supanchich, she, um, yeah, we, she's a senior as well. And we've got Zoe, who's a senior. And, you know, even the, our two transfers are, are older and, and um, bring a lot of experience with them. And then, yeah, so we've kind of got a mixed bag. And then we've got some girls, obviously, that are that are a little younger and less experienced that hopefully can, can learn a lot and, and jump in there and, and make their – claim their spot too. So, yeah. No, and again, looking at this team, there are players who were part of that 2019 group that made the first round of 16 since 2009, and you know, 21 and five overall as a group. They're 11 and three when things stop at tw- at the end of 2020. I know this is a storyline, narrative sort of question, but that's what we do here at Crack Rackets. 
I feel like this group's hungry. Like, I do feel like there's some unfinished business for those seniors. And, you know, is there that feeling amongst the team that, you know, to send those three in particular off the right sort of way this year? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, you said it best. I think we had had a lot of momentum going, you know, 2019 and, and 2020 before the pandemic hit. And then, you know, that's why last year was so frustrating because, you know, we knew where we were at and, and how hard we'd worked to get there over the last, you know, four or five years before that. And, um, but it's fine, you know, it's like things happen. It was bumping the road and, and things didn't kind of fall our way in some situations. But yeah, I mean, going forward, we're, these girls, they don't, you know, the best that, that Washington has ever done is made the elite eight back in the early two thousands. And, and this group is hungry to, to make history. You know, that's, that's their thing. They, you know, we came second in the Pac-12 in 2019 and they want to go a step further. And, you know, it's, it's exciting because they, they believe that we can do it. Um, We've got a group, like you said, that was part of that team and was part of that success and knows what it takes to win. And um, yeah, they're, they want to go out the right way and, I'm excited to see how everybody kind of rallies around those seniors and, and what we can accomplish. Pac-12 is very good this year. I mean, obviously at the top, UCLA, Stanford, USC, uh, you know, they've, they're have they traditionally excellent, and USC probably winners of the fall. I think Arizona is going to be sneaky good this year, Arizona State, all of these schools. How difficult is the depth you're competing with nowadays in college tennis? I've said this before, but I'll say it again. I think teams ranked 30, 40, 50. They kill their counterparts from a decade ago, two decades ago. I feel like it really is hard. I think, what is it, preseason 43 or whatever in the kickoff draft? Like 43 is a damn yeah. good team. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I think the depth is the depth is amazing, and it, it it's what makes college tennis so good right now. You know, I think you look up and down the line one through six in these, in these matches and everybody is so good mm-hmm. and athletic and tough. And, you know, it's, and anybody can win on a given day. And, and it's awesome to see the Pac-12, you know, the, the teams that we have this year, like every match is, is going to be a battle. And, um, you know, I love that, that the bottom, the middle, the top of our conference, like everyone's getting better and pushing each other. And um, I think it's, it's great and it's inspiring and, and everybody knows we've got to get up for every match. And, and, you know, I think back in the day, it used to be, you know, Stanford and you say these teams that everybody was like, Oh, they're untouchable. And now I think people are kind of starting to believe that, you know, we can, we can make some progress and, you know, recruiting's huge obviously and the development and stuff, but, yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it's uh, it's good up and down the line. I think every Pac-12 team is going to be going to be strong. What's 2005 what? Alabama ranked? 2005 Alabama—that's a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't even know. Do you know? Maybe no. no 20, I'm, 20, I'm 30. I don't know. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I feel like again. I feel like your team was a very good team, and it's like. Where would they be ranked nowadays? That is the question of questions because I feel oh, like our team from 2005. Yeah, where, where are, are they now? ranked now? Oh my gosh, I don't know. That's tough. Yeah. Uh, we'd be in the mix somewhere for sure. We were a competitive group. Yeah, I like <laughs> it. Yeah, I, I, I get hear, what you're saying. No, I hear slowly the competitor emerging. That's what I like. That's <laughs> what, and you know. Well, I'm curious with that in mind, and again talking about the depth in the Pac-12. Kickoff weekend, you guys are headed to UCLA. 
I mean, you don't have to let me directly into the war room, but is there a strategy session before the draft begins? Like, all right, we're going to go X here, Y here, Z choices this. Well, you know, it's tough for us because of where we finished. You know, if we finished higher, then yeah, there's way more, you know, we're, we've got a lot more options and, and there's a little bit more strategy in where we're choosing. I think because we finished lower than we had hoped and, and we didn't get one of those picks, we had a lot less options and kind of as things were going and filling up, we had to kind of weigh our options and see what made the most sense. Um, you know, it, to some people, they might be like, what are you doing? Because we haven't beaten UCLA before, but we want to. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think it's it's good for us to also get somewhere and play some outdoor tennis and get used to that. And, and you know, I, I think we've there's some good teams in that regional, and I think it's going to be a great opportunity for us. And if we get through our first round and um, if we do see UCLA, we, you know, we want to be in that situation. And um, if we can get through, great. And you know, we'll see, we'll see where we are. True or false. You scheduled at Hawaii first weekend of the year for the trip to Honolulu. (laughs) We do it every year, Alex. (laughs) Um, To be, to be honest, it is, it's cheaper for us to fly to Hawaii than it is to the East coast. And, um, and there's a few reasons why we do that. One, I mean, it's Hawaii. Two, (laughs) Hawaii is always, Hawaii is always a good team and it's a great match for us. Um, And then I think most importantly, the girls, it, it's one of these trips. The girls, they love it. They remember it. We have awesome experiences there. It's, uh, you know, I, I really, I'm big on the team stuff and the unity and, and I think the shared experiences. And um, we do a team retreat every fall before our fall season starts. And uh, and it's kind of like that too. I mean, it's obviously it's serious and we're going to play a match, but we do some fun stuff and it's kind of a good way to kick off the year. Um, and yeah, I mean, who doesn't want to go to Hawaii in January? <laughs> yeah, sounds, especially us Northerners. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I for, you forget sometimes how geography works. It's like, oh yeah, it makes sense that Hawaii is a little bit closer than New York would be. But yeah, it's an it's an easy uh, nonstop flight, and it's it's not as expensive as it is. There's no layover. It's yeah, it's easy for us. No, I mean that. I'm surprised. Make the Alaska trip come come May, like. Yeah, it's good <laughs> destinations. It, um, but no, so with all that said, and again, I know your team, uh, certainly 15-8, you know, ranking you were right on the bubble last year, NCAA tournament. Is this group ready to take that next step forward? Again, get back to the NCAA tournament, compete at the top of the Pac-12 this season? I think so, yeah. I mean, I think with, with the team that we have and the depth we have and, and the girls we've added to our roster – uh, I think we're going to be tough at every spot. And I think, um, you know, I, a lot of things have to go right, obviously, as you know, at that level. And there's there's a lot of really good teams. And so we've there's some luck involved. There's, you know, the preparation. There's the, you know, I, I mean, there's a lot of things that have to go right. But I do believe that, that we can have a lot of success this year and, and go one step further for sure. I mean, making the tournament is not our goal you know it's like getting to that final site and and getting past the sweet 16 and past the you know like doing some things that that washington hasn't done in the past or hasn't done for a very long time um and kind of getting ourselves back into that top top 10 group like we were a couple years ago is what we're trying to do the problem with this series for me now is i have like 17 sleepers on my list and i'm like well i really like (laughs) i mean this coach sold me this coach and i'm sold i'm in i'm fully in (laughs) i love it yeah (laughs) on on the team uh for this year 
you know, I'm talking about the roster now. We can move to some big picture things recruiting wise, and you know, uh, I in terms of bringing in freshmen to your roster, I know that obviously that's something I'm sure you did more of, particularly early on in your coaching tenures. You're trying to get players you know onto the roster, but you look right now, obviously, this explosion of the transfer portal, and it helps that there are five classes of high school graduates, just more bodies available. But as you shape your roster, how do you balance bringing in four year players versus knowing? You know, if I find a five, I find a six, maybe my team does get over the hump this year. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting evolution, right? When, and especially with COVID and stuff. And I think at the end of the day, we're not we're not out there, like, checking the transfer portal every day by any means. And we're not looking for quick fixes. I mean, we've we've kind of built this program, you know, step by step and, and you know, want it to be a long-term, sustainable, successful program. And, and for me, that's, you know traditionally was always bringing in freshmen developing them having them for four years building the right the culture the right way um but at the end of the day i mean we're looking for the the right fit and the best people in our program um all around people that are going to fit in you know with with the team um the right character the right level i mean there's so many things and we've had a handful of transfers we have two on our team right now i mean we've had a handful in the seven seasons i've been here and um you know the the transfers we've brought in have been amazing you know and, and they're just the right people at the right time for what we're looking for and it's not necessarily that you know i think there's a lot of reasons for people to transfer and um we've been really fortunate you know and, and the the couple that we have on our team right now is unbelievable such good fits in our team just awesome people and, uh, yeah, we couldn't be more grateful for, for them joining us. Do you feel more pressure as a coach to recruit your players even while they're on your roster? I don't. No. I mean, I think uh, – no. <laughs> I think, um, you know, we haven't really had anybody transfer out of our program, you know, to go play somewhere else that – I don't know. I mean, I think mm-hmm. it's there for sure. I know it's becoming more of a thing. But, you know, I think people love it here, you know, for different reasons. I think – you know the program for sure and um you know the city the academics i think there's a lot of things that that people aren't looking i don't think people are like looking and and trying to see what else is out there if the grass is greener i think it seems to me at least (laughs) that that, uh that the people are happy and i I don't feel that way i mean i if i'm doing my job right i shouldn't feel that way i guess right (laughs) yeah uh, completely fair and i would also say it's probably you know, it's not a main PowerPoint slide. You throw it in the addendum of the recruiting pitch. Not a lot of good purples out there in the college tennis color scheme. Like Washington nails the purple. There's no denying oh. that. And again, it's got a good shade of purple. <laughs> yeah, it's not. That's not slide one. But you know, you throw it in the credits. Like, hey, also purple. Don't forget. Um, but <laughs> you know, uh, with that said. You know, I, I is that th- your way to get a purple shirt? We'll we'll send you a purple shirt, yeah. Alex. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say this <laughs> to, to come full circle. No one, and no offense, Chris Young, I loved my time down in Stillwater. No one was more crushed than me last year that the National Indoors wasn't in Seattle. I have seen the Nordstrom Tennis Center on the stream so many freaking times, and I was like, I'm finally going to get to go. Like. Let's go. And I wasn't able to do that this year. Now, I, I think I'm going to be able to do it this year for the men's. But don't worry. I'll be back. Like, it, it's still on the it. list. And, you know, what's be- even better is we've uh, fundraised a lot of money. We've got some – we've got new scoreboards actually going up right now. And we've got huge scoreboards on both – because we have, you know, two banks of three. And so we've got big scoreboards going up on both sides. And 
just gonna you know i think it's gonna enhance the experience for fans and the players and everything so we're, we're doing little things to try to make the, the Nordstrom tennis center even better yeah and by the way I, I breezed through it yes you read through my this is me asking for a shirt please uh part of the podcast <laughs> uh but you know with that said i think we've started it I, I think too many people haven't heard from enough of you coaches give me the pitch why should i come out to washington why should it be a husky moving forward yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons. You know, I think all around the student athlete experience at, at UW is is second to none. I think you know our our city, our school, our leadership, our athletic department, the resources. I think you can kind of get the best of all worlds. You know, I I went to school at a small college town, and that's got a lot to offer, obviously, and I had a great experience. But for somebody that wants to be in a bigger city, and there's a ton to do, and um, from that standpoint, I think Seattle is one of the coolest and best cities in the country. I mean, I'm biased, but I've always felt that way even before I, I lived out here. Um, and then our program, I think, you know, we're, we're big into development. We're going to make sure you get better. I mean, we've had players over the years that have that have shown that and continue to get better while they're here. And then we've got some people out playing on the tour now that are doing great. And uh, we take a lot of pride in that. Um, and I would say our our team i know everybody says and it sounds cliche like the family stuff and all that but i mean we truly i I think our program we're very close we get along really really well we keep in touch with our alumni we have a blast i mean at the end of the day we're, we're playing a sport um we're having fun we you know we work hard and we want to have success but we want to have a ton of fun along the way um academically it's unbelievable here you know i i think I can't say enough. I mean, the, like, I think it's just a, a really special place. The people here are incredible. I know everybody says that because obviously there's a lot of great places around the country. But um, if you want to get better and, and you want to develop and you want to compete against the best and, and be a part of a fun, uh, tight group and, um, you know, have some awesome experiences, then, then this is a great place. Help. And the purple. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> See, that's exactly where to slide it in, by the way. Um uh, <laughs> Uh, but, you know, how helpful was the 2019 season for you from a recruiting standpoint? Just to be able to say, see, like, this is what we can do. And the joy it, you must have taken in that season, the culmination of all the hard work in those initial years. Yeah, it was special. And um, and I think it, yeah, I mean, I, I learned a lot. I think the players learned a lot. I think, you know, it's it's one thing to, to dream about something and to say, yeah, we can do this and we can be ranked top 10 or we can be at the top of the Pac-12, but like to actually do it and and prove to ourselves that, that that's, you know, somewhere that we can be and then where we belong, it, it goes a long way, you know, and I think um, that w- like when I went to Alabama, that was a big reason why I went there. I was like, I wanted to build something special somewhere where you know, it was, I wasn't just another player somewhere, right? Like I could, I could build something special. And that was the same thing out here. Like I'm looking for players that want to be part of something where they can create history and they can do things that have never been done before. And that take a lot of pride in that and the work that goes into that. And um, yeah, that was a great step for sure. But um, you know, we were definitely happy with it, but, but not satisfied. And I think that uh, it helps with recruiting because yeah, we can say, look, we've, we're on this trajectory. These are the things that we've done. And, you know, if you're looking to kind of help us push forward and, and take this another step and, and build on the success, then, you know, there's, there's people out there that really want to do that and uh, take great pride in it. And, and we've got some of those on our team now and, and some coming in next year. And it's uh, yeah, it's something fun that we can build on. 
Yeah, I want to ask one more recruiting question, but I think the natural follow-up. If you could re-coach any match in your coaching career, why is it the 4-3 loss at UC, uh, against UCLA in the Pac-12 championship that year? <laughs> I like how you already knew <laughs> what I would say. I, I love that so much. Um, that's great. Yeah, UCLA... 2019 semifinals uh yeah i don't i won't forget it uh, we had our girl number three playing two canadians actually playing against each other in the pac-12 um you know some junior rivalry going on out there but yeah i mean that would for sure be the match right like if we can get past ucla and get over that hump and you know since i we you know we'd beaten usc for the first time since i don't know oh three and then we'd beaten cal for the first time since whatever oh five something like that and then you know, to get that monkey off our back, too, to beat UCLA would have been huge. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, though, we had two matches on court one and two that year. We had our girl at two. It was Vanessa Wong. She's playing, I think, uh, Alicia Bolton. She was down 6-1, 5-1 and uh, came back and won that match. And then I think Stacey Fung at one was also down a set and a lot. And she came back and won. And so... To even be at three all, we, you know, maybe shouldn't have been, but our <laughs> girls did an unbelievable job of kind of, you know, staying out there and, and just trying to turn it around and did. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, if we could get that one back, it'd be great. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. It's not the win over Cal that year or the win over Princeton. It's, it's, I found it's always the loss. Yeah, look, I mean, there's a lot of wins that, <laughs> that we remember, but of course, as, as coaches and, and as players, you, the, the losses stick with you a little longer. Mm-hmm. No, I, I can imagine. And I am curious from a recruiting standpoint, and you're someone who, again, come from Canada before you're playing college tennis. Um, is college tennis a tough sell to international recruits, or is it be, has it become easier to sell? Yeah, I think it's become easier for sure over the years. I think people – I think there's just so much more visibility now, and there's – you know, people just see it and hear about it and with social media and – videos and different things. I just think like now people know so much more about it than they did when I was coming through. I mean, I only knew about it from like word of mouth or people, you know, coming home for the holidays from school that would tell me about their experience. But, you know, I didn't really know. I kind of just went on these visits and went in blindly, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's getting easier for sure. I think there's still the, the group or that mindset of, you know, going to college is, you know, you're not good enough to go pro until you're going to college, which I think is not right. But, um, you know, that school of thought still out there. And, and, but I think for the most part, people are, you know, more excited about it and are seeing it more as a pathway to the pros or, you know, a pathway to continue developing and, or even people that don't want to go pro that want to continue playing at a really high level. It's, it's the best option for them. What option do you give someone who is very clearly washed up, but would like to regain some of his form still 26 years old, might be on this podcast you know, part, fully retired at this point. Can, is there anything I can do to get it back? The first step is just gone. Uh, no. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, that might be a different. That might be a different phone call. Yeah, exactly. It's two. I got to take two weeks off, then quit. That's what someone wise once said. Um, so maybe, maybe that's the move for me moving forward. But all right, with all of that said, you know, talking about the game right now, um, and again, these are familiar questions to our listeners, but I do think this it's been really informative for me to just hear from all these coaches on these things as we work to grow college tennis and you know I did a podcast earlier today with uh, Wisconsin women's tennis head coach Kelsey McKenna and she really pushed me on this so I'm feeling 
I don't want to say sensitive about the questions because I mean let's I just it was nice to be pushed so now I'm feeling I you know I've reconsidered these as we look at the game even beyond product versus marketing I think some of the bigger questions are what should the purpose of college tennis be and I'm curious if like sometimes the drive to ensure college tennis is entertaining compromises the developmental aspect of the sport and I am curious how you weigh the importance of both of those two things coach yeah so are you asking you're asking about the well again what should the is college tennis supposed to be entertaining or is it supposed to be about the development like I do think sometimes that part of the conversation is lost yeah I mean can it be both I think it can you know I think it can 100% be both and I think we've got to do a better job with it. You know, I think, I think, I think the development is there no matter, I know there's so much talk about, you know, format and this and that. I mean, a player that wants to be good and wants to train and wants to, to work and compete is going to get better. No matter if you count one, two, three, four, if you count sets, if you count, it doesn't matter. In my opinion, I think the players that are going to get better are going to, right. And like, is the scoring system going to be different when they go out onto the tour? Sure. But I mean, you're a tennis player and, and, and you can adapt to that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we've seen that with, with the doubles, like we have such successful doubles players on the tour. Does it matter that they've only played one set in college and now they're playing two out of three with a 10 point breaker? No, I mean, they're, or that, that, that they go to the grand slam and now they're playing two out of three full sets. Like it, it, it hasn't made an impact. And so I think, um, I think we can develop and be entertaining and have a product that people want to come and see that aren't just your traditional tennis fans that will come to every match. We all know who we have that are going to be in our building for every match, but how do we bring more people in and keep them there and keep them engaged and excited? I think there's a lot of things we can do. Um, I could talk about that for a long time. But, well, no, um, I would like to yeah. hear if, if you don't mind. So if again not to ask as basic as this but what are the hows how can we make and i know a lot of it starts at the local level but even starting there how do we get coaches around the country get local fans and just people in their community to buy in so that these players feel like someone has a vested interest in their results yeah i mean i think that's up to us right i think the first step is is us myself my staff our department our players you know face to face meeting people building connections building relationships that stuff takes takes time, of course. Um, I think winning helps, right? People want to come out and watch successful programs. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's a lot of that is is up to us. I think, you know, we we need more help from you know our marketing departments and just getting more resources to to build our product. I think there's a lot of sports in college athletics that are doing a really good job of that, and I think they've invested in some sports, and it's showing that you know, suddenly like volleyball and and softball and all these sports are, you know, they're on ESPN and people are following them and they've, they've just got, they've kind of blown up, you know, and I think we can follow suit. I don't think the product is, is bad. I mean, I think our product is great. I think, um, I think when people come out to matches, they love it and they're like, Oh my gosh, how have I not been before? And, you know, but, but I do think it, it is too easy for people to, to leave our matches i think it's easy for people to get a little bored um that don't understand tennis and or don't understand the scoring and i, I think that's the tricky part mm-hmm. um it's like the tradition of our sport and where do we go from here like without compromising that 
but also like how do we evolve and kind of think outside the box and and um you know, move forward as a sport. I think there's a lot of ways, but I, I think, you know, we talk about it a lot and I, I just think it's hard to get a lot of people to agree on, on something. You know, I think there's a lot of differing opinions on this. Yeah. And that's been the fun for me is hearing all those differing opinions and, <laughs> you know, simultaneous is something I've thrown out a bunch. It's funny. We've gone full circle. Doubles used to be after singles. Now we're talking about maybe moving doubles back to after singles. I mean, I think another part of this is how important is it for college tennis to get on TV more frequently? And you talked about, you know, again, uh, fans having the opportunity, you know, getting bored in the match. So often that comes in that lull between doubles and everything else. Are those things you think about? And, you know, what is your view on that lull? Yeah, I mean, it's it's there, right? Like. I love it. And I think tenet, like it's not a lull to us because we know what's happening. And, and, but like, if we're trying to get new people in and, and get people excited, they don't, I mean, some people don't even know like our scoring system and how it works. Right. So there's all these numbers up on a scoreboard. <laughs> they don't know what's going on. And so how do we kind of streamline all of that? How do we make it more exciting? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not somebody that has like, I'm not going to say I, I have an answer. I think there's a lot of really good ideas. Um, you know, Georgia, our associate head coach, she's she loves this idea of playing like volleyball style scoring, right? Where it's just points and you play yeah. whatever. Like, <laughs> you know, every point counts and, you know, or the cumulative scoring where every game counts. Like, that would be so fun. You know, it's like you play for a set amount of time and you add up at the end. That's, you know, a true team sport. It becomes less individualized. Um, I don't know. I mean, no, I love that. Just all this. I think there's creative ways, right? To add to that, what I would like more than simultaneous, let's say it's two hours or two and a half hours. Doubles point is what it is. And then singles, every game counts. And so from there, it's an hour and a half of singles or two hours of singles, whatever it is. And yeah, you get rid of the set score. We're still fundamentally playing games and it's still tennis, as you've pointed out. Um, And yeah, just have every game count. So there is no lull. So everything does matter that much more. And I do think that doesn't compromise anything. I still think that's just as fun. So what the really fun is that we... We do that. We if I, we do that in practice all the time. We do these yeah. purple versus gold matches, and we just say every game counts. And it's like you know these four against these four, whatever. You're playing singles matches, and it's not we're not counting sets. Like yeah, there's a score at the end of it, whatever. But like at the end of the day, we have a total. Purple got this many games, gold this many games, and you know whatever the loser does this or the winner gets this, yeah. <laughs> you know. And it's I mean that kind of stuff is fun, and you know I I don't know I think there's. A lot of people think different things, and it's not changing the sport. It's, you know, changing the scoring, I don't think, is, is fundamentally changing the game at all. I like that. Are you a fan of substitutions? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think our, I think college tennis should be, you know, it's like in world team tennis. It's a blast, mm-hmm. right? I, I played. I got lucky to be able to play a couple world team tennis matches, and it was so much fun. You know, you're sitting on the bench, and suddenly somebody's struggling on their serve and the coach is like, all right, you're in. And, you know, you've got to stay warm. you got to stay ready. And, you know, we've got people just kind of hanging out and they know they're not playing and, you know, talk about getting complacent. That's that's the hard part, right? And we've got uh, – or people that just know that they're in and that's their spot. And, yeah, I mean, I think it, it would – I think if anything, it would help the development and it would help, you know, mentally – um, being more present, it would help people be more resilient. I think it would it would help the people that aren't playing um, feel like they've got a bigger role. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for it. 100% agree. And yeah, I yes to all of it. I I I, I would agree with your sentiment as well. Rankings wise, would you be fine with a 12 month system? Seniors just drop out when they graduate. 
Um, a 12 month system. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, that's, it's, is that your idea? Uh, <laughs> it seems too, e- it seems too easy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just the idea of, you know, there's no Draxel, there's no Navarro. What are we really doing with these December rankings? And yeah, I mean, that's the hard part, right? It's like professional tennis. That's what it is. And then, yeah. you, you know, you, your ranking points drop off or you have, but, but you're still credited for having a great year the year before. I mean, yeah, I think that's, that's a great idea. And I think it would make more sense because as of right now, the rankings come out and we all know, okay, yeah, they'll even out in a couple months when there's more data and, okay, yeah, we tell our teams don't pay attention to it for a while. Like, that's that's not great, right? I don't yeah. think it's great for our sport. No, I agree with you. And there, I think there should be more coordination, and I think a more consistent ranking system would help that. Obviously, Oracle was doing that, UTR trying to pick up the slack now. Uh, but, like, the top five ranked men's and women's college tennis players should get world team tennis contracts. That's how you cross-promote, and it would just be great. I mean, again, how do we get the ATP, WTA, professional tennis entities to invest more in college tennis? That's the golden question. Um, but I, like, to your point, I feel like the world team tennis player or the college players who play world team tennis are inherently better at it just because they've seen the team match before. For sure. I mean, I love that idea too, about, about, you know, the top five players and, you know, but I think that that goes to, we've got to, you know, we've got to be getting the best players we can recruiting the best players in college tennis, which I think we are. I mean, I think there's so many more really really high level players that are going on and doing well on the tour and we're going to have more and more as the years go on i think it's only going to get better not worse and so um yeah i mean exactly right like we've got to figure out what that how how it is that we get more buy-in from from the others to to kind of promote our sport and and yeah Mm -hmm. last two for you ncaa individuals fall or spring which camp are you yeah, it's funny because I heard one of your your podcasts, and I I heard this question, and I your idea about the the U.S. Open second week thing, and I um th- I think that idea is really cool. Um, you know, it's it's hard. Like I I don't know. Like I think back as a player and my experience and and experiences of players that I've coached, and it's like yes, the NCAA tournament at the end of the year is great for individuals. But it's always been that way, and that's all we know. Mm-hmm. And so, like, to not change it just because of that's how it's always been, I don't think is the right way to look at it. Um, I don't know. I don't think I'm, like, you know, 100% one way or the other. I, I'm not – I wouldn't I, – I guess what I'm saying is, like, if it went to the fall, I wouldn't be, like, up in arms about it. If it stays where it is, it's fine. Like, I'm I'm kind of indifferent. I know there's a lot of talk about it, it moving and – um, to be honest, I think when we're in the team season, I lean more towards let's focus on the team. Let's, sure. I mean, to have a team go and play four matches in a row or whatever it is, and then the next day an individual go play like seven matches the next seven days is kind of at this level and, and what it takes to win at this level. It's kind of insane, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, it's a lot to ask of somebody. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I think either way, I'm 
I'm good. No, it, it no. makes sense. You know what that makes you? A, a valuable constituent to these podcasts, but B, the swing vote. Like, you are the key. You're the one coach that's still going <laughs> after. So I like this positioning here. It's like whichever way Coach Stevenson votes probably made the more convincing argument. Um, I'm Switzerland, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just so you know, Tim's, this is the constituent you're going after. Um, but, you know, with all of that said, uh, and and I think this might be something perhaps you can attest to better than a lot of others, NCAA wildcard. Should it go to a player regardless of nationality? I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that at the end of the day, it's, it's somebody that's representing college tennis and it is the best college tennis player at that time or whoever was the best player of that tournament. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think that that wild card should be for the NCAA winner, not depending on, on where they're from. I think there's too many international players now and too many good international players to, uh, to leave somebody out. That's my opinion. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Stella Perez, Samariba is as good of a representative of college tennis as anyone. And like, oh yeah, yeah, it's like, what what are we doing here? Um, all yeah. right. Well, with all of that said, coach, uh, you know, my final question I like to ask every coach: when players, fans, coaches are you know are watching your team compete this year, what do you want the takeaway to be? Yeah, I want people to to see. Uh, uh, like you said, a hungry group, um, a group that plays with a lot of energy, a lot of passion, um, you know, a gritty group. And, and more than anything, I think just a team that really, truly cares about each other, that plays for each other. Um, I think people that walk into our building and, and watch our matches, I think they'll see that. And, um, yeah, I think it's going to be an exciting year. So we're looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, again, Coach, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. We will be rooting for the Huskies here, obviously wishing for you all safety, health, success throughout the course of the season. I will hopefully see you in Seattle. I don't know if you guys are on the road during the men's national indoors. If not, hopefully I will see you there. And yeah, you know, again, always welcome back on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And, and yeah, thanks for all you do for college tennis. Oh, of course. Happy New Year, Coach. All right, you too. Thanks, Alex. Bye.